Jonah 4. But Jonah was furious with God for saving the city. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at the place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I am so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? Good morning. Thank you, Sam. This morning we wrap up our three-week journey through the book of Jonah. And if you were here last week, it almost seemed like the book should have ended there, right? God did great things. Last week we witnessed God's miraculous power transform this whole city of Nineveh. Over 120,000 people, all the way from the king at the top to the poorest peasant at the bottom. They hear God's message, they repent, and God grants them forgiveness and grace. God's plan to destroy this whole nation is set aside because they love him and they give their lives to him. Truly a miracle, an amazing thing. And stories like this end with, and they all lived happily ever after, right? Well, wrong here. Everyone's happy at the end of chapter 3. Except for Jonah, who truly is, I think, the worst prophet of all of them. Right? Because here's Jonah's childish attitude remains unchanged through all this, no matter what God does. Remember? Remember how we saw how after the fish had swallowed Jonah, vomited him back up on shore in the direction of Nineveh? Remember how he reluctantly headed east? how he reluctantly went to Nineveh, even after living in the belly of a fish for three days, even after being rescued by God. Right? Remember, he, he still kind of crossed his arms and like a pouty kid said, fine, I'll go, God, but I'm not going to have any fun, and I'm not going to try very hard, which is exactly what he does, right? And God works anyway. God transforms this whole city for his glory, even though Jonah preached the most pathetic sermon ever written. And now, now after God does that, what does Jonah do? He turns to God and he wags his finger at God and says, see, I told 
told you this would happen, God. This is exactly why I went away to Tarsus, why I hid in the bottom of that boat and tried to get away. Isn't that interesting? He didn't, he didn't, he didn't try and run away from God because he was scared of the task that he was called to do. He was scared because, or he ran away because he knew God would do good things. He said, see God, I knew you would do this. This is why I ran away. I knew you would have mercy on them. And Jonah's all ticked off at God. Not quite the response you'd expect from a prophet, is it? But if you haven't noticed yet, Jonah's not your average prophet. Jonah's angry at God's grace. How in the world? Why in the world is he angry at God's grace? Well, I think Jonah's angry because Jonah views the world around him, this whole world around him, only through the eyes of justice. Right? Jonah lives in an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth kind of world that's intent on evening the scales of justice, right? Good behavior should be rewarded. Bad behavior should be punished. That's the way it's supposed to work. And with that kind of worldview, the, the city of Nineveh, the whole nation of Assyria, deserved to be destroyed. Right? Nineveh, this city, this capital city of had been the enemy of Israel for as long as Jonah could remember. They were enemies. And after all of their, their horrendous brutality and cruelty in war, which is what they were known for, and after all of their, their godless idolatry, right? They didn't worship God. They worshiped idols. They, they engaged in witchcraft. And after all of their immoral living, you name the immorality, it was in Nineveh. After all their prostitution, after all of flaunting the ways of God, complete destruction is exactly what they deserved. It's exactly what would even the scales of justice appropriately. And it's exactly what Jonah was looking forward to watching. It's exactly, I think, what Jonah had been praying for all along. God, please destroy Nineveh. God, please rain down fire and kill them all. He would like nothing better than to see every person in Nineveh dead. That would be justice. Honestly, when you and I look at our worldviews, I would guess most of us are justice people at some level, just like Jonah. Right? Don't, don't we believe that goodness should be rewarded? Evil should be punished? Laws should be enforced and punishments should be distributed? Justice should be blind, right? You, you do the crime, you do the time, no matter who you are. Three strikes and you're out. Right? We vote for law and order candidates. That's what the candidates proclaim when they're running for office. I'm a law and order candidate. In the same way that Jonah viewed the people of Nineveh, they should get what they deserve. We so often look at the people around us and say, yes, people should get what they deserve. That's why 
we as Americans found a certain amount of satisfaction in seeing the bombs raiding down on Iraq and Afghanistan following 9-11, right? Countries who harbor terrorists, they deserve to have their cities lit up like the 4th of July. That's how we justified just over the past year separating children from parents at the southern border, right? It's the law. It's the law right there in the books. And if you break the law, you experience the consequences, even if you're a child, even if it pulls families apart. That's why President Ford didn't get reelected, right? He didn't get elected because he pardoned Nixon. And we wanted justice. So we're not going to elect you to be president if you're not going to inflict justice. We want, we want judges to sentence to the full extent of the law. We want principals of our high school to appropriately discipline the kids when they should be disciplined. We want the referee on the basketball court to call every foul exactly right. We like justice. And we often share Jonah's anger when justice fails. Right? So, so here's Jonah. He's angry. Because Nineveh's salvation was not just. It is not what they deserved. Secondly, Jonah's angry because his world was also clearly separated into two different camps. There was the us camp and the them camp. His world was a world of justice and of prejudice. Right, so there's us, and us is the people of God. Us is the, the Israelites to him, right? And them was everybody else. Us, Israel, alone was God's favored nation. They alone were the ones who deserved God's blessing and deserved his love. They were the only ones with God on their side, right? They, us, we are the chosen people. And everyone else is them. Everyone else is the enemy. Everyone else is apart from God. Everyone else is to be loathed and hated and defeated and avoided. And the people of Nineveh, they clearly fell into the them category. They clearly are in the enemy camp. Us, them. And while I would guess that none of us here would raise our hand and admit to that kind of prejudice, I would say all of us probably live with that kind of us-them prejudice in our lives. Either consciously or unconsciously, we surround ourselves with us, and we try and keep them away. Right? You probably know, my guess is when I said we all live with these kinds of us and them categories. My guess is if you let it happen, a few thems came to mind. You know who the thems are in your life. You don't want them in your neighborhood. You don't like to work with them. You don't like the life that they're living. You don't want to be friends with them. You don't want them here at church on Sunday mornings. Them certainly isn't somebody that you love or that you're praying for or that you're caring about. Them is somebody that we feel like should be shunned, should be avoided, 
So, so we end up insulating ourselves, don't we? We insulate ourselves from them. We insulate our churches. We insulate our schools. We insulate our homes and our neighborhoods from contact with them. They are the enemy. It's us protecting ourselves from them. But in saving 120,000 Ninevites, God shows a perspective that is very different from ours. Yes, God is a God of justice. God is passionate about justice. But our God is a God who eagerly distributes grace as well. Our God doesn't always want to see people get what they deserve. In fact, our God is eager to see people receive what they don't deserve and what they haven't earned. And Jonah knew that. Jonah knew that about God. That's why he says in verse 2, God, I knew that you were gracious. I knew that you're a compassionate God. I know that you're slow to anger. I know that you're abounding in love. I know that you, you, you promise destruction, and then when people turn around, you relent and you don't destroy them. I know about your grace. That's why I didn't want to go. Because I didn't want the people of Nineveh to get that kind of grace. Because in Jonah's mind, all that grace and all that compassion and all that love from God wasn't supposed to be for them. It's supposed to be for us. It's ours. We are the chosen people. We are God's favorite. We are the good people. We're the ones who are obeying. We're the ones you love. Not them. Jonah knew the truth. That, about God that Jeremiah wrote about. Listen to these words from Jeremiah. Jeremiah says that God declares this. He says, if at any time I announce that a nation or a kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, I will relent and not inflict the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, I will reconsider the good that I intended to do for it. Jonah knew that that's the kind of God he was serving. He knew it because Jonah had received that kind of grace. Jonah received that kind of compassion right back in chapter 1 that we talked about two weeks ago, right? Jonah rebels against God. He runs away from God's call. He hides in that boat and goes the opposite direction of what God wanted him to do. And he deserves to be punished for that, doesn't he? That's direct obedience to God. If he's going to get what he deserves, he should have drowned when the sailors threw him over the side. God doesn't let him drown. God doesn't let him get what he deserved. He sends the fish to swallow him and spit him back up on shore. Jonah experienced that grace. And he wants that grace for himself. But he wants justice for everyone else. Not God. God wants to generously spread his grace around. 
Our God is one who is searching for opportunities to give people what they don't deserve. The people of Nineveh, they deserved whatever destruction could come their way. And God gave them forgiveness instead. That's grace. Jonah deserved to drown for his disobedience. And God sent a fish instead to save him. That's grace. You and I, every single one of us in this room, we are broken and sinful people. Every single one of us, no exceptions. And you know what we deserve because of that? We deserve, we deserve judgment for eternity. We deserve punishment. And you know what? You know what God did instead? He sent his own son to die in our place, to rise again, so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be set free, so we might spend eternity with him instead of eternity apart from him. That, my friends, is grace. And that kind of grace does not fit into Jonah's world of justice. And God's unbiased love does not fit into Jonah's world of prejudice. It doesn't work. You see, God doesn't see, when he looked over his creation, he doesn't see an us and a them distinction. He doesn't see good guys and bad guys. When God looks over the people of his creation, including you and me, he sees all of us as lost and guilty. Only some of them have been found and some are still waiting to be found. Some of them have made their way home again and others are still searching for home. He sees all of us in the same journey together. So God rejoices when 120,000 people in Nineveh are saved because they aren't our enemies. They're our brothers and sisters. And God rejoices when the us and them barriers in our lives are broken down and we begin to see every person around us through his grace-filled and loving eyes because they aren't our enemies, they are our brothers and sisters. God rejoices when we see lost and broken people and love them. God rejoices when we leave behind this worldview that's grounded in justice, that's grounded in prejudice, and begin to live our lives with his worldview of grace and love and forgiveness. And sadly, Jonah doesn't get it. Jonah did what he had to do, right? He spent his one day in the city of Nineveh. He preached his, his terrible sermon with minimal effort. And then chapter 4 tells us when he's done with that one day, he climbs up to the hillside just outside of the city, and he sits down to watch, to see what might happen. He's seen the, the revival happen in Nineveh, but in his heart, he's sitting on that hillside overlooking the city, still hoping that he's going to see a firestorm. Still hoping that he just might see 
the judgment of God rain down on Nineveh and kill them all. He sits there and waits. But instead of seeing a display of justice, Noah gets one more, or Jonah gets one more lesson in grace. So there he sits. And God tries to, to reach his stubborn prophet one more time. As Jonah sits in the, the hot summer sun, hoping that Nineveh might still be destroyed, God, God makes this vine grow. Miraculously makes this plant grow right over top of him to keep him cool, to give him shade as he sits in the hot summer sun. And Jonah comes back the next day to sit in that shade again, and, and he finds that a worm has eaten at the roots of this, of this vine, and it's dead. The shade is gone. And Jonah, the pouting prophet, speaks again. And he says, you know what? It would be better for me if I just died. I'm so mad. And, and God says, wait, wait a minute, Jonah. Are you really that mad about this plant? And Jonah says, I absolutely am. God, I am absolutely that mad. I am so angry that this plant has died that, you know what, you might as well just kill me too. I am so mad that I wish I were dead. And I think God is flabbergasted. God, God looks at Jonah and he says, don't you get it? Don't you get it? If you can be so upset and so angry about this plant being destroyed, this, this plant that is of so little value, it wasn't here two days ago, right? If you can be so upset about this plant dying, shouldn't you be even more upset if 120,000 people were going to die in Nineveh? Shouldn't you be more concerned about the well-being of all these people than about the well-being of a plant? And if you can get so upset that you're ready to die because a plant died, shouldn't the destruction of 120,000 people make you even more upset? Come on, Jonah. Come on. Drop your self-centered, childish, prejudiced attitude and start living a life of grace and love. Come on, Jonah. Get it in perspective. That's what this chapter is. It's a lesson on perspective. It's a lesson on perspective that we need to learn, you and I need to learn. It's a lecture from God that you and I probably need to hear as well. Because too often, we have misplaced priorities in our lives. Our perspectives are wrong. I want you to write, for those of you with your outlines out, I want you to write three questions. I'd like room for you to write three questions on your outline. I want all of you to think about these, to answer them for yourselves. First, I want you to ask this question. What is so valuable to you in your life that if you lost it, like Jonah lost this plant, what is so valuable to you in your life that it would break your heart, that you would be angry, 
that you would probably shake your fist at God. You, it might even spiral you down into depression. And you might say to God, you know, I might as well just die. I'm so upset that I lost this. What in your life do you value very, very highly? Okay, a, a similar question. Second question. What are you most passionate about in your life? What are you passionate about? What makes your heart sing? What makes you so excited? What do you spend time and energy and passion on in this life and in this world? Okay? What's valuable to you? What are you passionate about? Got something in mind? Third question. Does God agree with you? Is God going to say, yeah, that's a great thing to be passionate about? Is God going to say, yes, that is so valuable that I, I want you to be upset about that? Does God share that passion with you? I know in my own life, I need, I need a lot of resetting from God. Resetting of my perspective. And maybe some of you need that too. Maybe we need a lecture like Jonah got. Maybe we need to hear God say, come on, people. You're spending all this energy for money. Come on. You're going to leave it all behind. It doesn't really matter. Is that really that valuable to you? It's just money compared to lost people. Come on, people, it's just a car, it's just a house. This is people's eternity that is at stake here. It's just a spring break trip. It's just a basketball game. It's just a soccer tournament. It's just a cottage. It's just your comfort and your ease. Is it, is it that valuable? Are you that passionate about that, that you will ignore somebody's eternal well-being for those things? Stop acting like Jonah. I think God would say, Tony, come on. Stop being a Jonah and being upset about a plant while people are dying. All these things that you think, Tony, are so valuable, are so important, are worth dying for, they pale in comparison to that neighbor who doesn't know me. They pale in comparison to that friend or that teammate or that classmate that doesn't know Jesus. They pale in comparison to the fact that 50% of the people in our city right here don't know Jesus. 50% of the people that you run into at Meyer Family Fair that you pass as you pull out of the road here this morning, they don't know Jesus. Isn't that what you should be passionate about, Tony? All these things pale in comparison to my kingdom purposes of justice and righteousness that, that should be transforming this world. Shouldn't you care more about that? Shouldn't that be your perspective? Because that's God's perspective. We need to start seeing the world around us, the people around us, through God's eyes, through his eyes of grace and be ready to love, and be ready to forgive. We need to see the people around us 
through God's eyes of love as brothers and sisters who need to find their way home, not as enemies to be avoided. We need to learn the lesson of grace, of God's grace. And we will only learn when we, about that lesson of grace when we learn to love others the way that God loves them. When we learn to love others the way that God loves us. We can't see us and them. We need to see only all of us together in need of God's grace, in need of his love. Jesus himself told a story about this, a story about grace, a story about us. He told it in the New Testament. It's really the, the story of Jonah in a New Testament form. I'm going to read for you the story that Jesus told. Jesus said this. He said, The kingdom of God is like a king who decided to square accounts with his servants. As he got underway, one servant was brought before him who had run up a debt of $100,000. He couldn't pay up. So the king ordered the man along with his wife and children and all of his goods to be auctioned off at the slave market. The poor wretch threw himself at the king's feet and he begged, please give me a chance. Give me a chance and I will pay it all back. Touched by his plea, the king let him off and even erased the debt. The servant was no sooner out of the room when he came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him ten dollars. He seized him by the throat and demanded, pay up now. And the poor wretch threw himself down and he begged, please give me a chance and I will pay it all back. And he wouldn't do it. He had him arrested and put in jail until the debt was paid. And when the other servants saw what was going on, they were outraged. They brought a detailed report to the king. The king summoned the man and said, You evil servant. I forgave your entire debt when you begged me for mercy. Shouldn't you be compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who asks you for mercy? Jesus leaves us with a question. Shouldn't we have mercy on the people around us in the same way God had mercy on us? Shouldn't we freely distribute the love and forgiveness that has been given to us by God? Shouldn't we give that to others? It's really the same question that we're left with at the end of the book of Jonah. Do you notice the book ends with a question? Here's the question. Let me just read that last paragraph again. This is God speaking to Jonah. He said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And here's your question. And should I not have concern for that great city of Nineveh, 
in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. That's how the book ends. It's kind of strange to end the book with a question. I think God is leaving it there, leaving the question sitting there for you and me to answer. What do you think? Shouldn't God have grace? Shouldn't God have mercy? Shouldn't we have grace? Shouldn't we have mercy? The question is, is have we learned the lesson of grace? We've received it. Now, will we give it or not? Would you pray with me? God, you know how we see the people around us. You know how much like Jonah we absolutely are. We, we are so grateful for your grace in our lives. We are so thankful to receive what we don't deserve. We deserve punishment. We deserve eternity apart from you because we're guilty. And each one of us here knows it. We know our sin. We know the sins that we've committed in the past. We know the sins that we are going to commit in the future because we know we're going to choose to. We know our favorite sins that we don't want to let go of. We know the choices we're going to make that are not what you would have us make. We know that we're guilty. And that's what makes us so grateful for your grace that keeps coming to us again and again. Forgives us when we don't deserve it. You love us when we're so unlovable. And yet we find it so hard to do the exact same thing for the people around us. We want you to be judged to them. We want to get even. We want them to get what they deserve. To the person who insulted us, to the person who stole from us, to the person who makes life miserable for us every day. We don't like to think that we have to love them. And yet, you tell us, God, that that's what we should be passionate about. Those are the people that we should be eager to show mercy and grace to in your name so that they might experience your love and your grace. You tell us, God, that since we've received grace from you, we now need to give that grace. I would guess that each of us, Father, can see somebody's face right now. Some of that we say, really, God, that person? Really, God, that group of people? That group of people that are living in such a way that I'd, they don't deserve goodness, they don't deserve love. We'd rather have you speak judgment, have them get what they deserve. Really, you want me to pray for them? To love them? To care about them? Father, if you've 
if you've put a face before us, if you've given us a name, if you've shown us a group of people, Ninevites if we might, that you called us to care about and to love, give us the courage to do it. Because we're all Ninevites. And we all need that grace. And we all need your love. Thank you for being a gracious God. Teach us now how to be your gracious followers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.